Romans 12 this morning. I'd like to turn there. <sighs> Wonderful time together this morning already. There. Pastor Lynn says he's going to have this all in order one day. <laughs> Amen. Wonderful news. Um, I've uh, been gone a few Sundays. Somebody asked me to sign the guest uh, book this morning already. Uh, I'll share a little bit with you on that next uh, week. But this morning we're going to be covering uh, Romans 12 and uh, verse 12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. How many times have I heard, I just want to be normal. I just want to be normal. And my reply almost always is, was, you are normal. You are normal. What you want is not to be normal. A sinful life of unbelief and its results has been normal since Adam ate the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil back in the garden. We're experiencing this evil in our country in a magnified way where the new normal is to call good evil and evil good. Little by little, our country has been led down the path of justifying and embracing sin and sinful lifestyles. We have, uh, my wife and I have had TV series that we used to enjoy and we bought them, now you can get them on uh, DVD, and bought them, began to watch them, and as they happened, two of them, I'm not going to name them, but two of them uh, went for, on for a long time, and as we watched them, we saw what was meant to be just comedy and fun, we saw it more and more embracing sin, justifying it, okaying it, and you can see how much of just two shows would be a part of uh, where our country has is, is, is come to as, again, that embracing of sin and what God calls uh, sin or evil. Watching, and the little subtle things that come in, watching the uh, Thanksgiving, Macy's Thanksgiving Parade on Thanksgiving morning uh, this year, we see the uh, good witch of the Wizard of Oz 
and the Wicked Witch of the Wizard of Oz embracing and coming together. Seeming innocent and the thought behind it, of course, is we can all get along and uh, be happy with one another. But it's really a picture of good embracing evil. The Bible is quite clear that we are not to fall in with evil companions, nor to be unequally yoked with the lost. All through history, man has been drawn away from good and into evil, and what is happening is nothing new. As we renew our minds, however, we learn that there is a Christian normal, or at least God our Father intends there to be. When the believer takes to heart the truths of Romans, chapters 1 through 11, surrenders his life to the Lord, uh, Romans 12, 1, and renews his mind, Romans 12, 2, proves to himself what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God, begins to live a true life of faith and begins to be transformed into the new normal. Christ in you, Christ in us, the hope of glory. Christ's life lived through us begins to show as we believe this and live out the truths of what we have learned and believed in Scripture, and people begin to take notice. Our passage in Romans 12 and actually much of the last of Romans 12 reveals what this looks like as Paul writes how the believing Christian is to conduct his or her life, that which isn't normal in a world of lost sinners, but what our Father intends to be normal for his children. First of all, we see the normal Christian is filled with hope, rejoicing in hope, there's nothing but hopelessness in those outside of Christ. Again, we should never be surprised at what we see, what we learn uh, of, the, of what people do outside of Christ. They're living a hopeless life. The lost have two ways of suffering through life here. One is stoicism where life brings trials and death, or therefore keep a stiff upper, keeping a stiff upper lip is sufficient. Know that it's not sufficient. Their philosophy is that of fear. Others shrug their shoulders and decide that it is best to drift with the stream of life. Take everything as it comes. Live wholly for self. Suck every possible pleasure from each day and close their eyes to inevitable misfortune and death. That's life without Christ. Some of us lived a long time without Christ and we know exactly what that means. Totally involved with what the world had to offer, nothing but pain. Uh, we have a friend that, uh, when it comes to difficult things, 
as a saying, it is what it is. It is what it is. Gets her through life. But it's a world of no hope. Scripture tells us these are people in lifelong bondage. Hebrews 5.14 Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Subject to bondage. That's what everyone is without Christ. Subject to bondage. Living their life in the fear of death. But God delivers that. Freedom to those whose lives were filled with fear, guilt, and condemnation. That's what he has for all those who believe. To deliver them, us, from bondage. Bring us into freedom. The only true freedom there is, and that is in being in Jesus Christ. So the normal Christian is rejoicing in hope, and rejoices in hope being filled with blessed assurance, if you will, that assurance is what that hope is, that we are assured of what we have in Christ. The normal Christian believes that Jesus rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians fifteen sixteen. For if the dead do not rise and Christ is not risen, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. And that's true. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, but we know, Christians know that he did. And those who truly believe that he rose from the dead, of course, they receive salvation. But as we grow in our uh, understanding of our God, and that really becomes a part of our life, that fear, that uh, uh, turmoil that comes from did he really is gone. The normal Christian is at rest in that because he knows it's true. We have that assurance and we live uh, in that assurance that Christ rose from the dead. Um, Again, and I think we've all known, maybe we've all been there, uh, believing we were saved or people believing they were saved and yet not assured, not assured that Christ rose from the dead. I know in my own life it took time of renewing my mind to come to the place where I was at rest in that. No longer any doubts in where our Lord is. Next one, and it takes the normal Christian that rejoices and can glory in his tribulations as the Apostle Paul. Colossians 1 and verse 24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me for you 
to fulfill the word of God. The mystery, which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So we can go through tribulations because of Christ in us. He is our Savior, and we can trust him through whatever it is that comes into our lives. And we don't have to like it, but we can rejoice in it. Our Father's at work. The normal Christian knows, but is not defeated, while living in a hostile world filled with tribulation. Tribulation, a cause of great trouble or suffering, trouble of all kinds. That's what we see all around us. We've been protected for the most part in this country from this, in our country, uh, no longer so. We see tribulation just as Pastor Lynn talked about earlier all around us and even here in Wisconsin that normally isn't even on the map when it comes to uh, thoughts and things happening in the United States. One commentator writes, We must recognize that we are dealing with the God of all grace. He knows where he wants to lead us. And he will provide for our every need if we trust in him. Moreover, such a walk with him will teach us to turn to him, to bask in him, I may say, for there is a warmth and delight in being yielded to his control as we absorb strength from the genuine heat of his presence. Exhilaration, strength, warmth, and joy in such yieldedness to our Lord have no parallel and cannot be explained by human logic. How true. But he goes on. Now, such a life must inevitably arouse the hatred of those who do not experience it. To live supernaturally in the midst of a natural world is a silent rebuke that becomes intolerably galling to those who are not trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Thus, this section of the epistle to the Romans forearms us for conflicts that must result as we draw nearer and nearer to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is a central target of all of earth's hatreds. The change of our lives will draw some to the Lord Jesus Christ. The normal Christian will also uh, draw to himself tribulation attack because I don't have what you want, and our tendency is to, is to what we don't, don't understand is to destroy it. So if we destroy Christianity, I don't have to be reminded, number one, that there is a God, that he is the answer, and uh, that I don't have what he has. Our Lord said to his disciples in Matthew ten sixteen through 18, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But be, beware of men, 
for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. It will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. Excuse me. Normal Christians, however, are patient in tribulation. Psalm 119 and 165, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. Bless those who persecute you. Every believer today has a Holy Spirit that enables the reality of John, of, of going through tribulation rejoicing. In John 7.37, we read, On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. The normal Christian is always triumphant and gives out the sweetness of his knowledge of his Lord, as we see in 2 Corinthians 2.14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses a fragrance of his knowledge in every place. Believers today have that Holy Spirit. And through his power in us, God always leads the faithful into triumph, in triumph, in Christ, and then diffuses the fragrance. And this is, again, the fragrance of what? His knowledge. Of his knowledge. Fragrance of his knowledge. They're back to knowing God, knowing his truth, and what that does in the life of a believer diffuses that fragrance, that sweetness, that beauty, if you will, of our Lord. The normal Christian knows he has constant access to his Father. Patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer. Prayer is something that we've Excuse me, Christianity has made a lot to do with, religion has and everything, um, and some of it is pretty silly as long as being sad, uh, where so often we've seen prayer made into a formula instead of what we have as a father we have access to. The normal Christian can be patient in tribulation, believing God has a purpose for him or her. In Romans 5, 3, we read, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God has a purpose in all the things that we go through. He builds our character. He transforms us more and more into the image of his son. That's his purpose for the life of his children. 
and to look back and to see that all the things that we've gone through and things we didn't like and things that were harmful and the attacks we uh, come under at times and, and see that God always had a purpose to grow us. Are you going to trust me more through this or are you going to whine and complain like you did before you, begin, before you knew me? He has a purpose. He has a purpose to grow us, to mature us to conform us into the image of his own son and show a world filled with hopelessness that the truth will set you free. The normal Christian continually communicates with his father. I heard heard recently a prayer that began with God, uh, the father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, this is true. But today, he's the God of me. He is my God. He is my father. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it means a lot as we study through that and what brought us to this point today. But he's the God of me. He's my God. He is my father. There are no barriers nor people between me and my father. Nothing. Nothing. Ephesians 3.11, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. Therefore I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you which is your glory. Again, I think this takes time. Some people spot or see it right away. Others, it takes a while, like me, to learn that I can go boldly in and talk to my father about anything on my heart, to talk to him about what's burdening me, about my failures in my life and how I need him in my life for his grace. Mark, Lowry rightly is disgusted with people saying they'll be groveling through the pearly gates when they die. And he states, I'm going to bang down the door, walk in and say, I'm home. <laughs> I think he'll be more respectful than that. But he has the right idea. He has the right idea. That's where our home is, where our father is. That's our home. That's where we're going. That's where we're going to be. We hear all kinds of error about what's going to happen when we get to heaven. I got more of an idea that we're going to get a hug than that we're going to be floored down or or laid out flat on the floor. Now, there's going to be a day, a judicial day, if you will, when we all bow our knee before our Lord. But I have an idea, because of the God we have, that we're probably going to get a hug. And uh, I've heard and been with enough people on their deathbed that uh, there's quite a different welcoming than some have been led to be, believe when the Lord comes and says it's time to go home, to come home. Scripture says we have boldness and access with confidence faith in him 
The normal Christian has no fear of his father and therefore spends time with him. The normal Christian is filled with the love of the father and perfect love casts out all fear. We look at the cross and we believe and rest in the love of the father. 1 John 4.19, we love him because he first loved us with the love that we need. Prayer is simply talking with the Father who loves us deeply. The normal Christian needs are met so he sees and meets the needs of others. Distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. It's interesting here, you know, we hear a lot, especially by um, missionaries and evangelists and sometimes pastors preaching at us, uh, uh, the need to, uh, uh, the social gospel, if you will, reach out to help those that aren't lost. And that needs to be, but you know, Paul emphasizes the needs of the saint. The needs of the saints. See, because as a, that's not normal for people to meet the needs of those that are a family that they're not blood-related other than through Christ's blood. That's not normal. And uh, how hard it is to convince people sometimes that, no, I have a brother, I have brothers that I can trust with anything and that they'll give you a hand and help you out. Mrs. Walgas and I learned early of saints in need, off time, unfortunately, as pastors and missionaries. And uh, we uh, ended up taking our niece into our little home that we had in Ladysmith. And then another uh, young man uh, joined us, and we had a little bitty house. So we saw the need to add on. And once we did... Uh, part of that house was it was attached, but it could be made to be separate. And we started what we call a Barnabas house. And uh, it was for pastors that needed a break or missionaries. And when missionaries would come in, we'd, we'd, we'd put them in that side of the house and we'd tell them, you don't have to come and see us at all if you don't want to. There's a door here. You can keep it shut. We'll tell you when meals are. If you want to join us, that's fine. If you don't, uh, you don't have to. But there's a time where you can have to yourselves, your family. And uh, most didn't take us up on it completely. We did have one couple of missionaries come through, and we never saw them again. (laughs) This is what we need. (laughs) Hospitality, love to strangers. Um, there was a, uh, my wife and I always enjoyed missionaries come through and now we're, uh, living in a different place and we no longer have that, uh, separate place. And, uh, this missionary couple, they were Filipinos coming to the States and they were coming to our church. They were flying into Milwaukee and, um, we were to pick them up there and take them to our house. Well, they're Filipinos, for, so we already knew Filipinos eat rice every day, two or three times a day. That's their staple. And when they're here in, uh, in the United States, people 
don't realize that, haven't been taught that, haven't learned that. So the first thing that we knew we were going to do was, because they didn't have a car, so they've been in the six year, six months, uh, depending on other people to get them around. So, and they're very humble people, so we didn't ask them. We said, we hope you don't mind, but we're going to take you to a Chinese buffet. <laughs> and, you know, sunbeams on both faces. And we had the extra... Uh, uh, a, a blessing there that they met some Filipinos at that buffet and they had a wonderful time over the meal and uh, later we uh, told them that uh, she could cook every other day if she'd like and of course again being humble she didn't take us up on that and then one day finally uh, the husband said my wife is cooking tomorrow <laughs> A big bowl of rice, and he ate most of it. <laughs> so that taking in people, now these are strangers, brother and sister in the Lord still, and again thinking these people have been dependent on other people for a long time, and pretty sure they haven't had any time alone. So we didn't have our Barnabas house in, but... We had friends that managed a hotel, not that it mattered. We would have done it anywhere, anyway. And I asked the husband, would you to like a few days alone? And he already, he, it's that fast. He said, yeah, but we're not going to be able to do that until we get back to our mission, and blah, 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 blah. And I says, well, my wife and I have uh, uh, reserved you, if, if you're willing, a few days at a motel where you two can be alone. And he, he accepted and when uh, we took him down there, I said, now, if you need to stay here longer than what we supplied, just give us a call. And while I was in taking care of things and everything, my wife was showing him. It was an area where they didn't need a car, restaurants and everything all around. And uh, when I come back, I said, would you like me to show you around what's here? And no, no, no. We, we know. She told us. And off they went, him in the lead and her behind, and they never looked back. <laughs> and later we got that call, uh, we'd like another day or two here. So, uh, that see, we, when, when God fills us with his love, we, we see needs in others. And we see that, you know, with our own brothers and sisters in Christ. And, and, and the church is so good at this when, when the need is known. We had another family come into where we had that we were leading that church, and uh, they also were Filipinos, and so they didn't have a home base like most missionaries. They didn't have anywhere to go. So we suggested where we were, and it was in Wittenberg. Worked it out, and uh, I said, "We're gonna we we lined up a home for you to rent and everything," and. Uh, our church has, uh, are, is going to supply your rent while you're here. And then the house is empty. And the church knows your needs. So you're going to have to come to me and let me know when you have enough. Now I know, and you could see it in their eyes, they had no idea what I was talking about. None whatsoever. That let me know when you have enough. I think it was two or three days later, 
they came to me, Pastor, tell your people to quit giving. We got too much. <laughs> we have too much. They even had two TVs by then. So that's what Paul's talking about, is supplying the needs of others, seeing that there are needs and uh, meeting them. The normal Christian is sympathetic. Weep with those who weep. What scripture is more precious than Jesus wept? Jesus wept. God with us. He looked out at his people and he saw sheep without a shepherd. And he wept. And he wept for the hopelessness that they were living in, and he wept for them. The normal Christian has a high tolerance for other people. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. There was an evangelist, he's with the Lord now, and uh, it was interesting because his thing was uh, always looking for famous people to evangelize, and he was somewhere in northwest Wisconsin, and I got a call and he'd like to have dinner with me and Pastor Sadler and Dr. Bedore, and I said, that'd be great, and we set it up. Well, these two set me up. <laughs> they, they both canceled that afternoon when he was coming. And at the time, I was working in a cellar doing some remodeling. And uh, so I didn't call him back. Uh, you know, my opinion, okay, he's a brother in the Lord. We'll just have a good time together, two of us. And it'd probably be better because we can, you know, talk more. He got to the school, and he found out that Dr. B and Pastor Sadler was not going to join us, and he got mad. You wouldn't believe how mad he got. And didn't let me say anything or anything, got in his car and left. <laughs> Obviously, he'd never read this verse, <laughs> or didn't believe it, one of the two. Um, I drove out of my way to be with a mere instructor and dean of students. That would have been his attitude. And uh, later I wrote him a letter and explained things, and it calmed him down a little bit, but it was still it was sad. I was uh, asked to preach the first Sunday I was gone down in uh, Alpha, Kentucky, and a uh, young lady there and her husband, she and her brother were throwaway kids, no dad in the picture, and mom didn't want them. Pastor Jeff took them in, watched over them, brought them to the conferences, things like that. And you always wonder, you know, where that's going to go. And... Uh, she couldn't wait to talk to me, and Pastor Jeff had already filled me in. The happily married, he, and Pastor Jeff told me that 
they're probably the godliest couple in our church. This this young couple only been married a year, and she, her name's Chelsea, studying to be a Bible counselor because she wants to help people with what God has given her. She wants to be able to pass that on to others instead of hurting as she did. We don't know who's God's going to use and how, but I think this young lady is going to have a lot of people turn to Christ and at least believe Christ through her ministry. The normal Christian does not want to be unfruitful, Titus 3.14, and let our people also learn to maintain good works to meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. The normal Christian follows the example of his Savior. Jesus, God with us, subjected himself to human parents. After he was lost to his parents when he stayed at the temple being about his father's business, Luke 2.51 tells us, Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. Was subject to them. The religious looked down at his low estate, Mark 6.3. Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? So they were offended at him. He could relate and communicate to regular folks. Mark 12.37, and the common people heard him gladly. He washed feet. John 13.4, rose from the supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. But his most important example, of course, is found in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 9. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So we're to have forethought, or we will. The normal Christian doesn't respond the same to evil done towards them. Repay no one evil for evil. No payback for evil. He doesn't need to pay, repay evil for evil because he knows his father, and his father says, Hebrews 10.30, For we know him who said, there we go again, for we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. We know he has a purpose in our lives here and now. 2 Corinthians 4.16-18 Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light of fiction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. In Galatians 6.10, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, and again, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. We could correctly translate this as have regard for God's things, as our Lord himself said that only God is good, and that's what we're to be about is his work. And the beauty of all of this, of course, is that when believers live as normal Christians, others take notice. And uh, what a precious verse to me and as we read Acts 4.13 Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. There can be no greater compliment than that others can see that we have been with Jesus and we through our lives are glorifying the one we love. Father, how we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. Father, that you love us so perfectly that in Christ we can come to you boldly and talk to you about anything on our hearts that you want us to. Father, thank you that you did not just save us for heaven, but you saved us, Father, to conform us into the image of your Son that a world with no hope can see the reality of the truth and the freedom that being in Christ gives. And that selfish, hardened heart turns to that of loving others, caring for others, and, Father, seeing that you're glorified. How we thank you, Father. How we thank you for the church family you've given us. Thank you, Father, for your patience and long-suffering as you allow each one of us to grow in our own time, and our own way, as we know more and more about you, the God who loves us so perfectly. And we praise you in your wonderful name. Amen.